combo pack, as I call it, attachment style, <laughs> where I need to be so self-reliant, but it's really me being in a wounded masculine energy, trying to cover up how deeply disconnected I am from my feminine, how deeply afraid I am of ever being vulnerable because I don't want to get hurt. Not only might I not have resiliency interventions that I know about to fix my hurt or repair my own hurt, I will collapse as a person and my psyche will collapse if I feel as though I'm too much and not enough at the same time and it gets confirmed. So let me just derive self-worth from productivity and delude everybody into thinking I'm fine as a way for no one to come near me or a way to prevent me ever having to be vulnerable. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited to bring today's conversation and our guests onto the podcast because it is like, it is exactly what I want to talk about all day, every day. Not going to lie. Um, this is Talia Bumbola. How are you today? I'm doing very well. I'm very excited to be here. This is just a dream come true. So thank you very much for having me. Uh, you flatter me. So dream come true. <laughs> Uh, what what I think you mean by that is that sharing your message and your mission with the world is very important to you, and, and the podcast helps you do that. Am I am I hearing you correctly? That is that is correct, and to be able to have a kind of live in action balance of what it's like with masculine and feminine energy is also the very cool part of it too. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I can appreciate that. So uh, I know you better than the audience does. Let, let's get to know you a little bit better. Tell me how and why you're passionate about what you're doing. So it started, I would say, as it does for most therapists from a very young age. Um, so I'm a licensed marriage family therapist, and I also am a mentor on kind of a different wing of my business, I would say, and the desire to help educate other people on themselves and how to have better relationships with themselves and others started from a young age and my own family system and seeing what was functional and what was dysfunctional and growing up and understanding more how that impacted the way that I moved through the world and then ultimately ending up in therapy in my earlier teenage years. And that was life-changing for me to have someone to talk to for an hour or so or two hours or so a week who helped me change my perspective they were an outsider who was objective that was specifically designed to shift my thinking and provide support. So it felt very natural and comfortable when I was mm -hmm. career options later in my life to have that be my career choice. So I had the personal experience of it. I have the professional experience of what it's like to change a life and have that support. And it's like my life's mission to be able to help people understand like you can change if you want to change and you have the skills and the interventions to be able to use. And that's why I want to let everybody know <laughs> what they can change about themselves. And it doesn't mean that anything's wrong. It's you want to make an improvement. You want to be better at something or have a deeper insight or awareness of something and moving away and retiring from less effective behaviors by educating oneself. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we can start here on the podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So when you were experiencing um, your family system, were you aware of attachment styles in the beginning or did you have to learn that later on? Uh, I don't think I was aware of it. And my word, I wish that I was because it would have helped <laughs> me a lot growing up um, at any point in my life. I didn't really learn about them till like my later teenage years, I would say. And had I learned about it earlier, it would have, it would have changed the trajectory of my life. I'm convinced. I learned about it through reading, finding, I think something online. I was like, 
wait a second. And I had been taking the psych classes, graduate school classes, et cetera, uh, as it evolved. Yeah, I learned about it. And then I'm like, eh, it's just attachment. It wasn't really like a big deal at the time that I learned about it. And then when I really started to do research on it, it started to click. And retrospectively, I could look back at the systemic things that happened in my family, my early childhood and relational experiences with peers. And it all came flooding in and understanding oh, I wasn't crazy. I had anxious attachment and didn't know about it. Once I had anxious attachment and knew about it, it was a lot easier to contain. But when you don't know what's quote unquote wrong with you and you with anxious attachment, the hallmark is having that low self-worth. I'm too much. I'm not enough. When that's spiraling in your brain with no filter, that became very uncomfortable. And it got to the point where I just couldn't sustain it anymore. And I reached a point where I had to change it. And that's mm. when I really went back and researched, wait a second, I think I read something on this. I need to, to change this about myself. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, well, what, did, what did you mean by contain? So contain is a term that I've adopted since doing more analytic training. Containing can mean feeling safe and feeling protected and kind of like a safety blanket. And then feeling contained can also at times mean like it's like too much, like it's too much of a sense of containment. It's almost like a sense of external control that I don't mm -hmm. like or that a person doesn't like. So in the most often times when we're talking about containment, it's feeling oh, like I can do this. I can contain this. I, I have the control and I feel it's like a therapy room could be a container. The therapeutic mm -hmm. hour could be a container. So that's the way that I think of that term. Right, right. So it, it sounds a little bit more like self-contained as opposed to yes. external control. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah. I appreciate the, the description of a container of yes. like the room that you're sitting in now is a container, but also, uh, in my experience, Zoom can be a container. You know, yeah. we're connecting here over Zoom. It provides us a lot of structure mm -hmm. um, to where uh, Zoom is the structure and we can just fill that space. Yes, that's a great way to put it, yes. Mm. And how does evolutionary psychology and attachment styles kind of play together? I think they play together sometimes very nicely <laughs> and sometimes they're not the best play partners. So I started researching a few years ago how evolutionary psychology and the biopsychosocial development, which combines biology, psychology, and sociology and our sociocultural experiences, how do those all come together? How is that as like a confluence of events creating certain traits or certain human interactions and the way that we view the world and beliefs and how does that relate to our attachment style so by default we have our own typical operating system we're given our attachment style in part by our parents and our early childhood experiences however we can also shift and change for better or worse as we get older as we have early interactions with peers our first romantic partnership so our first attachment does not necessarily equate to our first love though we often conflate the two yeah, you're right your first, yeah your first experience with external non-familial <laughs> romantic attachment does set the tone and creates beliefs that you work from that plays with and is kind of connected to how did you evolve 
any generational trauma that you have, anything you are like biologically, how you identify, how much testosterone or estrogen you have. Are you female identified? You're more of an estrogen dominant creature. Are you male identified? You're more of a testosterone dominant creature. We each have both, of course. It's how much they are expressed and at what age range they're being expressed as well. So your attachment style plays with... <laughs> nicely, hopefully, your evolutionary psychology and the way that you've evolved, because you can understand, oh, estrogen can make me already more susceptible to these experiences or feelings. And testosterone makes me more susceptible to being single focused, maybe not as emotional. And how might that relate to, stereotypically, that would be more avoidant attachment in some lenses. And then anxious attachment would stereotypically be like the feminine, kind of the wounded, disempowered feminine energy. Mm. So working to balance the two. Yeah. I really appreciate how you brought that up there at the end as tendencies of those core energies. Sometimes they get a bad reputation of like, True. I think, I think you referred to the masculine as very penetrative, but yes. not in a sexual way. Life force. And when I hear that, when I hear that, I hear very goal oriented, very directional and purpose-driven. Yes. And oftentimes those, those terms can be relatable to the avoidant attachment style, or at least perceived that way, sure. because we're living, say the masculine energy is living so directionally focused that it's almost what's in the periphery isn't focused on. Correct. And if somebody's experiencing an anxious attachment style, maybe they can take that personally and internalize it. Yes. What are your thoughts? I, I completely agree. And as you were describing that peripheral, it's, it's whatever it's in front of me, the single focus, I'm not focused on anything external women, even though estrogen, which is where we typically live um, in the dominance of our brain, it makes us really have diffuse awareness. So we're like doing things. Meanwhile, we're this, we're kind of in the gathering mode, moving through the world. And then when we set our eyes on a project, when we're told I'll pick you up at seven when time or structure starts to come in and containment and that sense starts to come in, we can shift into being more single focused. Or if we develop a strategy or a plan, we shift and adopt more of that single focus and being in like the hunting mode and men can shift and have more of a gathering mode and then they're in hunting mode. So being with that, the description that you ran that parallel of the avoidant attachment it can feel personal to somebody who's anxiously attached or in that I would like to some attention and connection time mode if my partner's at work and I walk in, right? And they're in the middle of doing something and my expectation is they're, they're gonna pay me attention and I'm not aware of how single focused their brain is and I'm just literally buzz noise in the background. I will take that personally, especially if I am anxiously attached. I'm, I'm kind of primed to feel like I'm going to be too much. So already the request of coming in and asking for attention is making me feel like a raw nerve. And then if you don't give it to me, it's quite overwhelming when in reality, I might just have been otherwise focused. Can you give me a heads up and transition time? So my brain can go, okay, now I'm single focused on you instead. Mm -hmm. I can picture that being a lot of people's experiences in 2022. Yes. Where like society and its structure is changing for both genders a yes. lot. Yes. Like there are a lot of empowered, independent, single focused women out there. Yes. And I hear that that's who you work with most often. And, and that just by chance happens to be most of our audience too. So what are they experiencing in modern times from this evolutionary psycho, so psycho 
biological, sociological? Is that, is that uh, how you said uh, it? Biopsychosocial. There you yeah. go. <laughs> I would say that it's an adaptation and an evolution in, in a more of like an experiential societal context because certain narratives get cast and portrayed and shared through generations that men are this, they are not this. Women are this, they are not this. And I'm using more um, binary language to make it easier to orchestrate. This can be extrapolated to however anybody else identifies. If we have certain beliefs and stereotypes of men aren't reliable, men aren't trustworthy, men aren't emotional, any of those beliefs that we're working towards, we can adapt and evolve a, I'm going to do this for myself right? Whether this was modeled to me by my parents, that that stereotype was true. It may only have been true for your parental subset, or it may not have been true at all. It may have been your mom's way of trying to relate to you and vent to you and inappropriate mm-hmm. boundaries and enmeshment that can also cause attachment issues. Like talk that about that for hours. And <laughs> that can, going on those beliefs can create this hyper-independence narrative where it's more of this anxious avoidant, like the, the um, combo pack, as I call it, attachment style, <laughs> where I need to be so self-reliant, but it's really me being in a wounded masculine energy, trying to cover up how deeply disconnected I am from my feminine, how deeply afraid I am of ever being vulnerable because I don't want to get hurt. Not only might I not have resiliency interventions that I know about to fix my hurt or repair my own hurt, I will collapse as a person and my psyche will collapse if I feel as though I'm too much and not enough at the same time and it gets confirmed. So let me just derive self-worth from productivity and delude everybody into thinking I'm fine as a way for no one to come near me or a way to prevent me ever having to be vulnerable. Right. Yeah. Everybody pause right there. Rewind like two minutes, get out your notepad because that that's legit. Like what I hear you talking about and as it uh, comes to modern dating, like this is a struggle that people voice often, especially from the lens of attachment styles especially from the lens of where we're at in 2022, where the genders or how you identify are battling against each other because of this wound that you keep referring to that comes from our experiences, our family systems, our biology, our generational trauma. And let's dig into how that shows up in modern dating from your perspective. How those factors show up in modern dating yeah this culmination of like the battle of the of the sexes I don't want to like (laughs) like to use a cliche but like there's a battle between uh people let's just say there's experiences in modern dating that people are putting the blame on others for outsourcing accountability as I like to call it (laughs) boom there's there's the language I was looking for yeah so I I think there's been a huge cultural shift to to kind of take a time travel moment back to like the 50s 60s 70s 80s kind of the whole sexual revolution women feeling more empowered uh, being able to have more freedoms and not not actually being forced to stay because they didn't have their own financial resources I'm a big proponent I teach this to my students in college as well regardless of how you identify, do not give your financial power away to another person. Even if you never work, please have something you could do that could bring in an income source. And it does help you feel good as a person to be making money, even in a small scale, but don't give your power away to another that if Mm -hmm. it doesn't work out for whatever reason that you have to stay because you literally wouldn't survive 
in the elements without them. So that's just a caveat. I see in modern dating this battle and this kind of, I don't feel empowered and I feel unsafe as a woman, right? We see this in like the bell curve of society. So what am I going to do? It shifted from I'll empower myself and it was less about it kind of was quote unquote fighting the patriarchy, but it was really more about let's just build each other up. And then I see it, and this may be um, not a widely popularized opinion, but this is just one opinion. It's my view seeing it shift from, okay, this may not feel like it's enough, or I may want even more. How might I go about doing that? Plus potentially some generational resentment, bitterness, um, really polarized ideology thinking of like, well, I'm going to take their power. I'm under the impression my power has been taken. So tit for tat, I'm then going to go in and take men's power away and emasculate men as a way to not emasculate myself. And that's where I see the power struggle happen internally on an individual and a societal level with, well, I don't feel safe around men. So I'm going to make them feel badly about themselves, disempower them, shut them down, shame them, and then I'll feel better. And that'll just teach them. And women and estrogen, it makes us want to punish and fix and manipulate and withhold because we're feelings-based creatures. And our deepest horror would be in the social outgroup. I don't want to be shamed. I don't want to be criticized or belittled. So I'll do anything to avoid it. Men are motivated by winning. So when we criticize and punish and belittle, they're not winning. We completely emasculate them and they're not feeling motivated to change. How you build another person up is not by devaluing one side of the equation. It's by saying, that's you. I can empower myself. I would like to provide for myself and I would love to be provided for in these ways. Because it's not mm -hmm. sexy to walk in, I imagine, as a guy and be like, okay, I can literally provide nothing for you. Why am I here? Like, what yeah. would my purpose be in your life if not only do you have it all on lock, you also are not making space for me to, for you to take, let me take anything off your plate. And I think a mm -hmm. lot of men want to, but there's that mistrust. Why is she so overproductive in the first place? If it's because she doesn't trust a man to provide, she won't give him the, she robs him of the opportunity to even provide. Right. Yeah, thank you for that uh, glimpse back into how we've arrived at this place. Um, in both both core energies, the masculine and feminine, are operating from a wounded place in the way that you described it. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there can be uh, healing ways that we can go about looking inward and taking care of that ourselves. Yeah. So let's just say like that independent, empowered woman wants a partner and she provides for herself financially in the basic needs, right? Mm -hmm. Like a home pays all her bills, et cetera. This is a, this is the narrative I hear in my audience. It's like, I take care of myself. You were referring to some needs that the masculine can provide for that type of person. Yes. And it goes beyond the financial and it goes beyond the, the physical safety. We're talking more about about like emotional and mental and spiritual mm -hmm. needs, aren't we? Yes. Yeah, let's list out a few of those before we dig really deep into what we're gonna talk about today. Yes, so the way that you worded it is um, very aptly put that there are deeper needs. There are other more relational needs. They're not as much the financial day-to-day uh, -day life. Like I have, you know, my bills paid for, I have a house, I have like Maslow's basic hierarchy of needs. I'm good. Like I have the bottom two parts of the pyramid, I'm fine. 
it's a deeper sense of somebody cares for me, somebody loves me, somebody's providing for me, I have new experiences with them, I'm going on dates, I have somebody to talk to and to kind of get some feedback from and get advice from, and it's more of that connectedness and that relationship needs, those relationship needs that are being met, a need for fun, a need for belonging, a need for companionship, a need for integrity, spontaneity, connection, belonging. It's this really deep feeling that we get when we want to connect with someone. But if we're so disconnected from ourselves, we will feel threatened when someone tries to come in and provide those needs that are currently going unmet, especially when that low self-worth narrative is at play, because I don't even feel worthy of somebody coming in and meeting those needs. So I will block them like the best defensive and offensive line all combined at once <laughs> to even getting close to meeting my needs. Because what if you do it and I like it and then you leave? Or what if you do it and I like it? And my kind of um, theory on this and how I word it is, and I have to unbecome the self that I have grown into and become somebody else. And that is a huge undertaking because my whole identity or a large majority of my identity is going to collapse and be rebuilt. And I don't know that I can do that while keeping up this empire and this moat and these walls of hyper productivity and deriving self-worth through that. Who am I if I'm not deriving self-worth through productivity? That's the question that I start with, with a lot of the clients that I work with. And we spend a long time there because they've centered their whole identity around it to be provided for in those deep emotional relational needs is something they may have never even had from their parents from infancy and beyond analytically. And it's tough to, to learn something new and to accept something new, especially when it challenges your beliefs on yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very well said. Let me just kind of summarize what I think sure. I heard you share there is that you're referring to when somebody unbecomes this person that they've built up, this yeah. independent. What I hear you talking about is somebody when they lose their sovereignty or their agency within the context of a relationship. That was the fear that I think I heard you talking about there of like, it, it's still completely acceptable for you to earn your money, have yes. your home, yes. um, pay for your car, buy all your groceries and your yes. bills. That's your sovereignty. And no one wants you to lose that when you get into a right. relationship right. in order to meet these other needs that you were describing. Yes. And the, I, yeah, the perfect summarization and that deeper self-worth part is, oh my gosh, I never even thought there was, right, for stereotypical women, I never thought there was a man capable of meeting these deeper social emotional needs that I have do I feel worthy of it or not dictates if I'm going to be accepting of it or not and that it won't feel like a threat to my sovereignty then you add in the double layer of well what does society say mm. what kind of man is that are they seen as weak are they seen as beta are they seen as simping are they, again, this is where the emasculation piece comes in. It's like, well, they're being weak for showing emotion. I'm like, okay, we can't have it all. <laughs> you need to pick one. You either get to build the empire and pick the guy who can fill in the other emotional needs. And women I work with work at a revolutionary pace. They're very driven and goal-oriented. They often partner to get that homeostasis with a man who is at an evolutionary pace. He is even keel. He is chill. He is a great provider, but he may not be as career driven because there's the polarity needed. He has space to give all those things for you to receive because he is not trying to derive his self-worth from productivity. He can build his empire over five to 15 years 
men don't have the same sense of time that women do. Mm-hmm. Either. That's a part of this yeah. too, free energies. Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate that. And you can probably see I'm getting excited to talk yeah. <laughs> more and more and more about this because like, it really is putting to words what I've been feeling about modern dating in the last few years, you know, understanding my own attachment styles, digging into what my core energy is, masculine and feminine, and what, what kind of, how that shows up in my relationships and my own sovereign experience too. Right, right. And the narrative that I think that was behind what you just shared there is like, the men are behind the curve when it yeah. comes to that emotional and mental development um, when they are that provider, when they are the breadwinner, when they are taking care of building their empire. Like what I heard you describing is not being able to like, or maybe not paying attention to the periphery of what's going on around that purpose-driven focus Mm -hmm. in order to build up their mental and their emotional acuity Mm -hmm. to be in a relationship with the highly driven, hyper independent, Mm Uh, successful woman. Yeah. Let's expand on that if you could. Hey, everyone, I really hope that you're enjoying this episode as much as I did. I wanted to take a quick break and invite you to a brand new challenge that I'm starting. This group program will challenge the way that you think about modern dating. It will challenge you to put yourself out there and take risks, and it will challenge you to grow as a person in a group setting. When we have mirrors around us of like-minded people, they provide reflections for us to grow personally. That's been my own testimonial when it comes to men's work and men's groups over the last four years. I don't believe that I would have grown as immensely as I have in the journey through modern dating without these two men's groups that I'm a part of. This challenge group is going to be so transformational. And if you're looking for a little bit more support and a kick butt group of people, that are going to hold you accountable, support you, and challenge you along the way, then this group is for you. Click the link in the show notes or the bio on my Instagram account and apply today. Let's get back to today's episode. Yeah. So we're advancing far beyond what I think our nervous systems or our social structures and infrastructures were expecting. And there's, uh, it's like playing catch up, right? And for so long, it's like, I imagine in like a boardroom somewhere, they're like, all right, guys, don't show your feelings. That'll be weak. That'll get you the girl. Like, okay, got it. And they're like going out and doing the lesson plan. And then they come back in like two years later because they missed the meeting. It wasn't on their calendar. They're hyper-focused on this. They're like, scratch that. They want us to be emotionally available. They're like, okay, we got to go back to the drawing board. Like there's no way that we can possibly be keeping up with all of these demands of society. And because of our diffuse awareness and how much we think and feel, and we just want to be and receive. And that it's a lot of demands and projections onto the other of, well, I can do it all. Why can't you? That's first of all, we can't all do it all, all the time. (laughs) And being a do it all is usually a sign of imbalanced internal energy of masculine and feminine and men are struggling to keep up with this and they're going to therapy now. And we do have a lot more awareness around how important relationship skills are in not only obtaining, but maintaining a long-term committed relationship. You mix that with, we have different milestones socially as men and women. We're, We're different creatures and we want different things at different ages and phases. And they're quite often in competition. So 
even if a guy does have the capability of becoming and is actualizing that potential of being more emotional, being more relatable, being more communicative, there may be a partner who's not at that developmental level to receive it, or they've transcended so quickly and developed so quickly. They're like, that was great six months ago, but I need this now. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I can't keep up. So it feels sometimes like this never ending race as well. What I hear you describing is not necessarily a, an age difference between those developmental levels. It's purely that developmental yes. uh, timing yes. of like post-college, what are the, what are the, what's the feminine doing and post-college, what's the masculine doing? Well, they're doing completely different things at 25 yeah. years old. Yes. And then I'm 42 now. And like my own personal work didn't come online until six years ago yep. where I was like, okay, I have this business. I've been a personal trainer for almost 10 years, but my relationship sucks. Yeah. You know, and then go through a nasty breakup. And I'm like, all right, I need to wake up to what's going on for me so that I can maintain my sovereignty and my agency. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so what I, there was a really key point that I want to discuss. And you're like, you described it as, um, maybe technology is furthering us beyond our biology can handle or our central nervous system can handle as a society. And that brings me to dating apps because that is a huge piece of modern dating. Uh, That's where a lot of complaints come from. It's where a lot of narratives come from. It's where a lot of toxicity comes from, but it can be a place where people can connect, like say, say securely attached individuals, Mm -hmm. a, a, a phrase I really appreciated you sharing was self-selecting. Yes. How do how do the securely attached self-select out of the dating pool? Okay, so the I think a, a piece of this beforehand to highlight is the impact that the written word versus the visual image has on each of us. Women are far more impacted. This is clearly like an overgeneralization. However, more often than not, it's true. That's how I would define it. We're more impacted by the written word and men are more visual creatures, especially as they're younger and their testosterone is at its peak. It lessens over kind of time and you'll have to take supplements if you want eventually, if you choose to do that. But when it's at its peak, right? And we're like, you need to commit to me and focus to me. They're like, oh, that's a hot girl. I love that server. They're not gonna go do anything. Like looking is not illegal is what I like to say. So just knowing that from the foundation before we talk about the securely attached, you're going to have different things you're affected by in online dating. Using that as a foundation and a segue into talking about self-selecting out of the dating pool, I give the example, if you're out at a bar, let's say, or at an event with somebody and you're with your friend group and they're with their friend group, statistically, not every single one of you will be only anxious, only avoidant, or only secure. You hear these stories though, they're outliers, they're exceptions to the rule of, well, so-and-so met at this bar, so-and-so met at this event, and they have a wonderful relationship. And I'm going to expect, sometimes erroneously, that that's going to be my experience when I go out with my group of friends and I meet a guy or vice versa, and they have their group of friends, that I'm going to be this fairy tale romance and find the person. Typically the outlier existed because that friend never goes out and the other guy friend group, that guy never goes out. He just happened to be in town from work, et cetera. They magnetize towards the person. We like homeostasis as an individual. And if I'm secure and the other person's secure, we talk, we connect, et cetera. 
we get along and we self-select, right? We pick somebody to go with us and we leave the party out of the dating <laughs> pool. And then we're doing uh -huh. really well. And all of our friends who are quoting that they are miserable and single and hate who they're finding because their dating pool is now in increasingly less secure and increasingly more anxious, avoidant people who have had that awakening after breakups. Oh, wait, I might not be the healthiest I'd like at relationships. And that who is typically is going on online dating apps. The landscape is shifting, but for a long time there, especially during the pandemic, I am alone. I am so lonely. I need some sort of human contact. I don't care what it costs me or the other person. Mm -hmm. I just need to connect. And if we're also wounded going on the apps, we're more susceptible to want that instant hit of validation. And they love me. They love me not. They love me that intermittent positive reinforcement is the strongest behavioral training schedule that you can put somebody on. And that is what texting inconsistently, matching inconsistently, visual and written word going back and forth in competition. We weren't prepared for this. <laughs> we were not, I feel like I'm on that movie that came out about like the warming stuff or the world, but like, this is so clear. We were not prepared for this. Like it's okay right. to feel overwhelmed. Our brains were not ready for this. Are you, are you talking about the movie called um, Don't, Don't Look, Look Up? Up? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Mind-blowing mind stuff. And I really appreciate the analogy of two friend groups at a party or an event or a bar where there's this gravitational pull between yes. two securely attached people. Yes. And then there's a gravitational pull between the anxious and the avoidant. Oh, yes. <laughs> but... But there's a key component with, with like a securely attached person who is receiving intermittent, inconsistent texting and matching that they're not going to deal with that BS, like, are they? Um, I'm not going to do like you're in or you're out. You're in your, I'm not doing this middle ground, but when middle ground, like when you're used to only eating crumbs and thinking it's a full meal, that middle ground is like, they see me. And if I don't think I'm worth more, why would I ever push for more from somebody? I, I would be horrified to even ask for more. And if the other person who's avoided, I'm, I'm asking them for more, they pull further away. And if you're secure, you're like, okay, taking that as a note that I'm done. If you're anxious, oh. you're like, challenge accepted. Like <laughs> I will chase you forever. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really funny. Um, so what I've, what I've come to understand just in my own reading and my own research, this is not my personal experience, but just reading and research that a, a great match for both an anxious and avoidant is a securely attached partner. What I hear you talking about is that it's challenging to lock down that securely attached person yes. if you're anxious or if you're avoidant. Correct. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. And so this, to the two securely attached people, they self-select themselves out of the dating pool, whether that's in a bar, an event, or on a dating yeah. app. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and then we're left with anxious and avoidant people using the apps. Maybe the anxious downloads and deletes because they met the one yep. over and over and over again. Or maybe the avoidant has the same profile for two or three years and they never put it on pause and they never delete it and they never cancel it because they're always one foot out yes one foot in yes. whatever relationship that they're that's my personal experience i'm sharing from my personal I think experience that's a very now. accurate description and so we touched on the technology and a little bit of that age gap so let's just say that the dating pool on apps and the dating pool in general maybe even during the pandemic as a result of what we experienced collectively. Let's say that the dating pool is only anxious and avoidant left. 
you know, because this two securely attached people self-selected themselves out of the dating pool because they're not going to deal with the BS and the inconsistent behavior. Yeah. What would somebody include in their dating profile that would attract a partner who is more secure or who is a better fit for them? Let's talk about the anxious first and then we can touch on the avoidant. So I think including more language. So it's twofold. Whether you're anxious or avoidant, there's more language to include or exclude. And it's also about leading from the most integrated of your energies. So if you're an anxious woman on a dating app, it's okay that you may want a lot of intimacy and connection. It's how you word that and how you invite the person to meet that need so it doesn't come off as frantic. When I find someone I like, I really enjoy spending time with them and including something playful. Don't get me wrong. I have a life that I enjoy, but when I find a partner, I'm, I'm kind of all in, you know, I really like being around them. There's a way to gently word it like that, that still conveys, oh, this person would like my attention when we're in a relationship. I want to be authentic. I want to be playful. I want to be receptive. I want to be confident. And it's that receptivity that showing you're available and receptive is good as an anxious woman, right? And that empowered, balanced, masculine and feminine energy, but showing that you're too receptive or too in demand of like, I'm self-abandoning to be this receptive. That's when the radar goes off and it's like, wait, this is too much. So I would recommend not only in your real life, building a life that you love, that you feel secure in, even if in relationships, you're still anxious, word it on an app or word it to people that you're pitching yourself to in a way that I prefer a lot of connection and closeness. And I have a pretty high threshold for communication, right? right. Saying that confidently, that is a more attractive piece because there are some people who are like, I'm bad at texting, whether that's an excuse or self-awareness real for them. You might not want to partner with somebody who is admitting that from the start. And then you're like, well, I didn't know. They literally put it in their profile. What, what are you? you do know, you did know, you denied it. So I would word it in a, I'm very, I, I think one of my best superpowers that I've developed over the years is wording things in a very attractive and inviting way for people to not only use, but want to learn more about. So I would word it in that way. What is that person going to win? What is that guy going to win by giving you what you want? I will feel close to you. I'll feel connected to you. And if I know that this pattern is built up, when you're out with the guys, I literally won't text you. Like if you give me no reason to feel anxious and buy in this time, when you want to go do stuff, I won't be blowing up your phone. The converse of that is if you are inconsistent with me, then when you become even further inconsistent or go dark, I will text you 50 times, right? I knock, knock, it's me. So go the <laughs> positive route if you are anxious and a woman and trying to balance your masculine and feminine. Be honest about your intimacy and connection desires and threshold. and understand that you need to invite them in of how that can make them win if they want to partner with you. Mm. Yeah, I really appreciate that win-win uh, scenario for yes. both the anxious and the avoidant because those yes. relationship styles can work. Yes. Uh, when those two people want to work on it. Correct. Correct. And then, and then that brings us to uh, the avoidant. Yes. Uh, typically, I would say that a tendency of the avoidant attachment style on a dating app would be like, one or two word answers to a prompt, yeah. uh, no bio whatsoever on Bumble or Tinder yeah. or pictures with sunglasses or pictures with a hat, pictures from far away, pictures yeah. with a group of friends. You know, that's what I would lean towards as like 
the glaring avoidant mm -hmm. show up mm -hmm. on a dating app? Um, what would the avoidant need to understand about how they present themselves in a, like a win-win for everybody? Yeah, I think an avoidant can benefit from portraying more of, typically if you are avoidantly attached, you prefer a lot of your own alone time and independence and being in a close intimate relationship is often conflated as a threat to that and it's perceived as a threat when in reality it's not. So what do you like to do when you're off doing your alone time stuff or activities and perhaps do a more up close of you doing that thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like a golf selfie, if you like going golfing or far away from surfing, because obviously that, unless you have a GoPro, like that's cool too. <laughs> Show me that you are a fun and adventurous person, but also convey that you'd have space for me to be near you if I wanted to. So I would say it's still honoring of how much independent time you need and even wording that, right? Put some words in the bio, et cetera and be clear with what you're looking for, right? And it's okay to be more blunt of, I'm hoping to find somebody who can join me surfing. If that's mm -hmm. really all you're wanting for dating and it's not super long-term, it's okay to be honest about that rather than, man, all my buddies are partnering up in this and that. I'm either gonna go full avoidant, man cave it up, or I'm gonna just do what everybody else is doing, but not be as successful as I might like. And if, again, we're not feeling like we can win or men aren't feeling like they can win, is kind of falling flat. It doesn't hit that worth it factor in their brain to put in the effort. But when they're seeing a, a woman's profile, in this case, that match of, wow, she seems chill, laid back, but also knows what she wants. And she's really clear about how much connection she wants. It puts them to task. Could I do that or not? And it might be a fun challenge that they think they could win at. So it's, it's balance of that penetrative energy and that receptivity as well. Right that energy that we've been discussing so far today, because it almost would seem like, where's this conversation going? Like there's a lot right. of topics that we've discussed today, right. but there's a purpose. Yes. There's a reason. Yes. Under, understanding our attachment styles and their tendencies to, well, gravitate to one another. Mm -hmm. How can understanding our core masculine and feminine energies help us regulate our nervous systems when it comes to attachment styles? So being able to have a balance, this goes for both, being able to have a balance of I can do and I can be, I can receive, I can give. Those are kind of the basic buzzwords for both. If I'm a woman and I want to have a balanced internal sense, I want to be authentic. I want to be compassionate. I want to be playful, vulnerable, expressive. I need to shift to empowering myself to be that and shift out of disempowering myself by being insecure, codependent, having weak boundaries, being susceptible to shame and guilt, people-pleasing, manipulative. So less of that and more of empowered. And if I'm a man who wants to be more in my empowered masculine and not disempower myself in that energy and the balance, doing an action-oriented, like we talked about, goal-oriented and focused, but not overthinking, overdoing, aggressive, controlling, perfectionistic, confrontational, no space for receptivity or feminine, that would be the leading energy. And of course there's nuance. If somebody, there's men with leading feminine, there's women with leading masculine, but have both in, in balance, not imbalanced. And that helps regulate your attachment style by you also being aware, oh, I have a tendency to need a lot of space to feel safe. I have a tendency to need a lot of closeness to feel safe. 
how can I articulate that in a respectful way that honors my partner's leading core energy and doesn't hurt them or disempower them? That would be mm. my summary. Well, thank you so very much. And, and I don't want to ignore that that question comes from personal experience for me, you know, leaning towards an avoidant attachment style, um, understanding that I was done with it. I was sick of repeating the same old patterns over and over again of like being distant in a relationship, hyper-focused on work, not emotionally or mentally, or even physically available for my partner. Mm -hmm. That's not living my most empowered life. Mm -hmm. And what I found is that through my healing of the masculine wound that I was dealing with was the answer to help me regulate my nervous system when I am in partnership with an anxiously attached person, mm -hmm. as opposed to bailing, right. leaning out, right. pulling away. Okay. What can I rely on? What can I embody here in this moment when my partner is uh, bringing those tendencies of an anxiously attached person to me into right. our container? And so understanding how and what techniques worked best for me to stay grounded, to stay present, to lean into the relationship was my, in my experience, a great solution to uh, working with my avoidant attachment style. Cause there are some great things about me because of that. Mm -hmm. And then there are some flaws there too. What partners in the past tended to focus on were the flaws. Women typically try and motivate by criticizing. So uh -huh. sorry. sorry on behalf of our species. Sure. <laughs> and yes, I would get frustrated by that and I would get hurt by that. Yeah. And then when I started to understand that I can be grounded in those moments when I am receiving criticism from my partner and set an appropriate boundary and say, hey, that's not how we talk to each other in this relationship. And yet maybe not take it as personally. Because uh, in healing my own wounded masculine, I understood that that comes from my family system and my family of origin and my experience, which in relationship, I now understand and empathize with my partner because that's where theirs comes from too, is their own experience. Yes. How does that land with you? Very softly and very receptive, <laughs> very well. <laughs> It is so true that we really discount, and this is part of being egocentric. This is part of the human condition. If we're not working on ourselves and being other centered and self-centered, self-centered as a linguistic definition is not a negative thing. It's the meaning and how it's expressed that I think can turn it negative at times. Our family of origin in the therapeutic realm, we call it foobs, family of origin bullshit. Sorry if I'm not allowed to curse, but we call it foobs. And so we all have this, each of us have our own baggage. Some of us have like the lost baggage found at TSA. Some of us have just to carry on, right? That's kind of how I word it. You don't know <laughs> what your level is until you become curious with your partner. In order to be curious, you have to have done at least partially some of the work on yourself to know. You don't have to know how to fix every trigger or activation, but you do need to know to the best of your ability what triggers you and activates you, and then be working on kind of moderating those activations and understand that this is not an affront to you as a person, both ways for your partner to be curious. But we often are not safe people to tell the truth to, as I like to say, because we filter it with, how could you do this to me? And we sit with that long enough and realize, okay, wait, maybe it's not about that. 
well, how could you do the relationship, right? What if it's deeper than that? And it's like, how sad must that have been for you to think that I wasn't going to be there for you and to rob your op- yourself an opportunity of reaching out, right? Like it's really softening and deepening into, it comes from your family and where they connected with you, right? Where, where there was elision or alignment or where there was collision, where you were fighting or where they missed you entirely and they didn't give you what you needed and how often were each of those happening and how do we bring that into our adult relationships? Can I focus on the strengths only and can I reframe? And again, that's where like the superpower comes in. If you take yourself to task and go, I'm gonna figure out the nicest way to word even the most uncomfortable or most dislike thing and motivate the person to shift it and explain what it would mean for our relationship and the closeness and increasing sex and intimacy and less fighting. Now I have a buy-in and I want to win. And I, I think both partners can align with that's your teammate, right? That's, that's an advocate, but we're built as adversaries. So we have to shift into more of that. I want you to succeed. You succeeding doesn't mean me failing. You succeeding means me succeeding means we get to build a life where we don't fight where we don't threaten ourselves, where we don't threaten our independence because you are a part of my life. I'm not trying to control you. And I think that's a key piece as well. Mm. Yeah, thank you very much for that. It sounds like it all comes down to communication. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and a, a, a phrase I like to remind myself, it's like, it's not you versus me, it's we versus the problem. Yeah. And if we can communicate from that framework or from that perspective, then it is a you succeed, I succeed. And we're not competing against one another because the energies don't like that. Especially the feminine, when the masculine competes with that, mm-hmm. it's not going to go over well. Correct. And that's, that could be two or three episodes in and of itself. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and if, if people are listening and they're really paying attention to what you just summarized there, I think that we can grasp the goal of our conversation today, which was, how does understanding both our attachment style and our core energies help us stay grounded and present and supportive of our partner, even when things get hard? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And before, uh, thank you. <laughs> and before I, before I let you go, I, w- I want to bring up a piece of technology that's at play in this conversation. And I want to trash Bumble for a little bit. Sure. Let's go for sure. it. Sure. How does the messaging, uh, how does the woman messaging first on Bumble kind of mess with all of that? I'm so glad you brought that up. I wrote for an article many months ago and it was like happenstance because I'm part of this uh, program. And I'm like, I turned to my partner and he's like, write it. And we were like kind of co-writing it together. Uh, and I, I remember putting on there that it throws off the energetic uh, agility and alignment from the start. There's a caveat. If you like that dynamic where the the woman is typically more in the masculine lead and then she's attracted, but the sexual polarity completely dies off, honestly, from what I've seen in research as well, it doesn't usually last. Like even though the connection, there might be a spark or like a buzz or whatever Bumble's catchphrase would be, that throws off completely all of the energetic alignment and it further perpetuates and enforces that I'm the empowered, I can do this, I can do anything. Nobody said you couldn't. I don't know where this belief came from that you couldn't do these things, maybe the self, but Bumble puts it to, well, I'm going to take the lead. And then they're frustrated and and complaining that, well, then he never plans anything. Well, where'd you meet Bumble? Mm -hmm. Well, I can answer that one for you in 20 seconds. If you had met on something where it was 
ma masculine and feminine, like hinge, balanced, receptive, and penetrative energy. They do a good job of that. And Bumble just, it's a little lopsided, as I like to say. It's not about being unfair. It's lopsided. Bumble puts women in the position of the penetrative energy, and we get to be the deciders, and we get to be this. Sure, if it works for some, great. I'm not, if it worked for you, fine. You. This is not for you. This is for the people who are frustrated by it it's not going to set off the tone and the alignment to the way that it's going to be sustained or that you'll have good sexual polarity in my opinion. Right. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that from your perspective. And I agree. I do. What I hear in our community is that when people use Bumbles, women specifically, because that makes up most of our community here, they don't know what the opener should be. Mm. And when they take the first move, or I think the catchphrase is make the first move, and they simply just say, hey, or hi, or how was your weekend? Um, then the masculine in that situation or the man in that, that situation is like, well, they, they didn't open with anything. Well, right. in that is the feminine opening because that's not their normal state. That's not their natural position to be penetrative. So right. if a woman on Bumble is saying, hey, hi, hello, how's your weekend? Emoji, yeah. <laughs> Right, just the emoji, then that's our opportunity for the masculine to step up and pay attention and get that signal mm -hmm. and to say, Hey, uh, I always I always start with the same opener, even on Bumble. Like I I wanted to take that poll back, right? right? Hey, first name, what's your favorite thing about Colorado? Perfect. Even if they started with a hi or a hey, I took that as the sign of like, well, at least they care enough not to let the 24 hours expire. See, yes, it's a bid for connection and being able to match and meet the bids is also a hallmark of earned secure or already secure attachment and the longevity of a relationship. How many times are you matching and connecting? And can I take the lead? I'm giving you the opportunity to take the lead. Are you taking it? And when you don't, am I the type of girl who'd be on the app and be like, well, I guess not. And passive aggressively do the double message or the double question mark. And the guy's like, um, I was at work. Sorry to get back to you in 10 hours. Like there's so much more nuance that can go into just analyzing the communication tone and pattern and cadence that I would love to do because it's true, right? We pitched you the ball, the ball's in your court and let's give you time. You need a lot more time than we do. We have a clock, whether we ever want to have kids or not, that it's like tick, tick, tick. You don't experience that. You operate on a 24 hour clock. We have a 28 day clock because of our feminine um, biology. We're, we're adversaries. We're not built to be the same. So we need to be a lot more patient and we would like you to be a lot more um, penetrative, penetrative sometimes and kind of take that, that lead, that's sexy mm. to us, to want to yeah. follow. Right. Yeah. I like speaking my language. I knew that we would uh, completely enjoy chatting today. And I, I hear like assertiveness, like what the feminine is looking for is assertive leadership and direction from the masculine partner. Yes. Can you take the role that my masculine might typically take? And can I trust that lead to shut that off knowing full well, same as the financial piece, I can kick it back online and do I have a life and a job and a career where it can live and be channeled so I can really be in my feminine when I'm home and you can be in your masculine? And then there's the agility. Can we switch roles? Can we play off each other's strengths? And it might transcend the energies altogether. Fuck yes. Like, <laughs> drop the mic like right there. I don't have to record another episode of the podcast ever again because, because like this, this conversation, it, 
it's been in my heart. It's been in my soul as part of my purpose and my direction and, and my uh, one focus mindset for the reason for the podcast in the, in the first place is like, why do we feel like we're at war? Where does that come from? And what can we do about it? And ultimately self-awareness and communication. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Best way would be through Instagram. So it's my first and last name at Talia Bombola, T-A-L-I-A-B-O-M-B-O-L-A. And I have a link in my bio for the podcast that I do, my coaching website, my therapy website, if you're a resident of California. And I have a kind of a self-awareness insight masterclass, if you will, because I think there's so much information on social media. It's quite inundating. And I compiled every, all my research from all of my years in my clinical trainings and my coaching skills and put it all into one self-directed class where you get access to me. I just, my life's mission is to just help people be the best selves that they can be and to stop fighting and being at war with the opposite sex. So if you would like that, check, check that out and check me out on Instagram. I do Q and A's and reels, and I would love to connect with all of you who are listening. Yeah, I appreciate that. So thank you so very much for joining me today. Completely invaluable conversation today, both for my, uh, my progress as a person, my own evolution, and hopefully our audience as well. Thank you.